This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. When you think about building a business, you likely want to do it because you've got really big goals for your life and you want to make a big impact and create abundance for others. And when you start that company or when you are a part of helping someone build a business, you probably joined because you thought you'd be successful. So why is it that the majority of businesses fail? That's going to be the purpose of today's conversation. We see this all the time with whether it's our members or the people that we do trainings with at a corporate level. Everybody always has the best of intentions in their career, yet they don't realize the subtle, simple mistakes that they are making. That if they had the right person on the front line of their business with them, coaching them and guiding them, that ultimately lead to burnout. The person you're going to meet today is someone we're very excited to introduce you to. For over a year, you have heard us talk about the possibility of bringing out the one thing coaching, having a one-on-one coach based on the principles of the one thing. And over that period of time, hundreds of you had emailed saying, yes, I would love to get a one thing coach when the time is right. Yet behind the scenes, the reason that you haven't heard much from us is because we hadn't earned the right to bring this program to market because we were missing a person. We were missing someone who already had an amazing track record as a coach and as a coach of coaches who could wake up every single day and ask the question, how can we build a coaching organization that is so powerful that the world's most talented coaches would want to build their careers and companies inside that organization? We found that person. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. And he's who you are going to meet today. Over the last five years, he has personally led over 9,000 independent coaching calls. He has had conversations with business owners from across all industries. And he has a very unique perspective on what those mistakes are that you may be making that if you don't get a hold of them right now will lead to burnout and ultimately possibly to the loss of your business. As you go through this episode, ask yourself the question, who are the other people in my world that need to hear this conversation? Get clarity on those names so that you can share it with them today because these things 
that we're going to cover today, if you get ahead of them, could lead to extraordinary results in any area of your life. If you find yourself being interested in exploring what it looks like to have a coach who can be there and guide you based on the principles of The One Thing, go to theonething.com slash training and you will see it as an option there. You'll see One Thing Coaching and you can submit your interest there. With that, let's get into this conversation with Abe Shreve. Before we dive into what some of the biggest challenges are that emerge that if business owners just don't get the hold of them, really causes them to burn out and lose control of their business. I think it's important that people understand who you are and why you're qualified to even share these ideas. So for the last five years, I've worked as a professional business coach. And I've worked with organizations that were sales organizations that were were leading their industry. You know, these are the these are the great mess makers, right? They they get they have they have big vision, and if left to their own devices, will create a mess that no one can clean up. And I I recognize that because I've been in that seat in my in in past experiences, and so I've had this incredible opportunity over the last five years to work uh, at a wonderful organization where we got to work with these great, innovative, disruptive, creative executors. And um, and so at the time uh, that I at the time that I moved over into this, into my current, what I'm doing currently, I, I had just completed my 9,000th coaching call. So they say that you get mastery at 10,000. I, I got close. <laughs> I'll be chasing that one for a little bit. Mm-hmm. My experience has led me to, the, to this incredible opportunity to partner with incredible people like you and Jay to build a great coaching company that will... It'll change the world and take care of a lot of people. I mean, I don't think that's too much to ask, just that we want to change the entire world. Is it, Jeff? No, and we're gonna. <laughs> that's it. Anything less than that is not enough. That's right. So let's let's dive into some of this because when you and I were talking about this, there were three real things that stood out. So for for you who is a business owner, pay attention. For you who wants to start a business, pay attention. For you who is a leader in an existing organization, pay attention. And for you who has a desire to become a leader, pay attention. What's the what's the first thing, Abe? What's that one thing that you see business owners not doing? that if they started doing would actually lead to them building a successful, sustainably profitable business? So the first thing they don't do is they don't line up the dominoes. Now, this is what it means. They, they don't have a very clear and transparent and well-thought-out business plan. I think this is really powerful for people to understand, Abe. What do most of them do? So what most of them do, especially in the early on stages, as they're, as they're learning the business lessons and as they're, you know, they're still in that exciting launch phase, they'll have a tendency to run the organization based on passion and adrenaline and kind of this philosophical, we're going to come early and, and do more and stay late and we're, you know, we're all in and we buy in. That's kind of the spirit of it. And eventually what happens is no one can run forever. Nobody can run forever. And so in the absence of a great business plan, in the absence of a roadmap, 
the ability to say, this is what we're doing, people start to get lost. They start to fall short on expectations that have not been clearly defined for them. And so it, you, can, you can that fast start to look at people and think, well, maybe they're not the talent I thought they were. And, and talented people can start to feel like, gosh, this company, we don't have it together here. We're lost. We're reactive. A reactive culture is a culture based on fear. So there's really something about acquiring the skill, taking the time to build out a clear business plan that begins with what, what do we want at the end of this period of time, typically a year? What do we want at the end of the year? And it walks all the way back to what are the levers that we have to pull week one that put us all on a course to achieve this business plan? Which for folks who have been following the models behind the one thing, Abe's referring to a GPS, which is a one-page business plan, and a 411, which you can find both of those if you go to the onething.com with the number one in the URL and click on free stuff, you will see them there on the first page. I think the thing that's really interesting about this, Abe, is we, we see a lot of people who will do a GPS or their version of a business plan. They'll, th- they'll say to themselves that they have a business plan. And if we followed them around with a camera and watched their every single move, what we would see is them walking in with the latest idea, sharing it with their team and running through walls without asking, Ooh. where does this fit in my plan? Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> oh, dude, can I... I'm just going to kind of lay myself out there. Can I be vulnerable with you? I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Do it. All right. So I was bulletproof until five and a half months ago. Do you know what happened five and a half months ago? I, you started this company. I went into business <laughs> with my business hero. <laughs> and in my mind... And, and by the way, I didn't even define this until just recently. In my mind... I thought I need to come in and do something really innovative and creative to prove that I was the right selection. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Which I would never coach someone to do that. We would always coach someone, what are the proven models? Who has done what you want to do in a successful way? Let's start with that. And we'll be creative later. It took me a little bit to, you know, to realize that these things just apply to me. So... When we, when we talk about, let's go with the 411, for example, we build the business plan. Maybe there's an annual retreat. Everyone's excited. We all go to dinner. It's a great moment. We, plan, we got it all planned out. Inevitably, we're just then going to break into the day-in, day-out rhythm of executing the plan. And all of the emotion that we felt at the retreat where we bonded and we threw axes with each other and we did these activities together... All of that is, is going to go away for a little bit. And we're just going to be focused on the day-in, day-out activities of delivering our plan. By the way, I have gone to my team and I've said to them, these are my natural tendencies. I have a tendency to get an idea that I think could be important to us and bring it to you in that moment. Which, by the way, is not great leadership. Because if we're, if we're a company that's built on the principles of the one thing and everybody has a 411, which to me, your 411 is, is, your, is, the, is the highest declaration of your priorities. So if we're clear on that, and I just come racing in with something and I'm like, hey, I want you to do this now. We need to have this. If I do that, I'm going to diminish 
the capacity of the talent in our organization. I tell them this. I tell them right up front. This is a natural tendency of mine. And if I do this, feel free to say, what do you want me to replace on my 411? I give them the script. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to make this really actionable for people, Abe, because I think you've mentioned a few things that are really important. You, you mentioned the idea that even before the, the year began, having some type of retreat, which this is the reason we've been doing the One Thing Couples Goal Setting Retreat, because whether it's your significant other or your team, for you to sit down and actually co-author what your goals look like and then to establish a business plan in 411s that match, that's what we do. Which for those of you, if you want to join us when we facilitate it later this year, go to the one thing.com slash event. You do your retreat, you get your GPS done. So you're clear on the business plan. Everybody has their 411s, which are their declaration of their priorities as to how that flows and reflects the business plan. And then it's every single week reviewing it. And when leadership swoops in with the big new idea, which we often do, you say what? Yeah, these are my two favorite questions. When something comes down the pike, where on my 411 does this thing appear? And if it doesn't belong on mine, whose 411 should it be on? Yeah. Because it's, it's really critical that, as, that, it, that we have the culture that understands that we're going to benefit today from what we know today that we didn't know yesterday. So sometimes those ideas are just something came to my head and I want to get it out. Also, sometimes those ideas are based on what we've, what we've learned through doing this. I can, we call it swoop and poop management, like a seagull, right? I can swoop in, <laughs> drop this on someone, completely emotionally hijack them, or maybe if not emotionally, productively hijack them from their focus by giving them this new thing. When, when I could actually save that till their 411 meeting, mm-hmm. have them lead me through their 411 and then introduce this, then we could discuss where does this fit in the business plan? If we want to do this, where does it fit in the business plan? What is the plan to do this thing? And who's the owner? And then that item is just added to that person's 411 and our GPS. So here's the thing about this. If, it, if it's not on the plan, it doesn't exist. If we want to make that thing a reality, then it's our job as a company to get it into the plan, get it into the business plan and appropriately into everybody's GPS and 411. Otherwise, it isn't helpful. What I love about what you're sharing, Abe, I'm imagining, I want you to imagine your boss or a colleague of yours swoops in with the latest idea saying, hey, we've got to do this. And instead of feeling like you have to say yes, because you might lack the language on, on how to effectively say no and still help them toward their goals, all you did was you whipped out your 411, your priorities, or you whipped out the GPS of your team your division, the organization as a whole. And you said, great, where does that fit on this? Which inherently requires that you say, if you're going to say yes to that, what are you saying to everything else? You're saying no. Saying no to other things. Lining up the dominoes, baby. Lining them up. Lining up. You know, you know what you can do to the items? For those that really struggle to say no, can I give you I want to give you a technique I learned. And and this um this comes from David Allen, Getting Things Done. Have you read that book? I sure I certainly have. Great book. It talks about all of those things like I need to call so and so and we should do this. And you know those thoughts you have before you go to bed? 
I, I have silenced those recently, but I used to have <laughs> them. Yes. Good for you. My he wife describes- has them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mine too. I have them. I, the truth is we all, we all do because our brains don't clock out at five. And so he describes those as open loops. And his statement is the more open loops we have in our life, the less mental and emotional bandwidth we have available for our priorities. So the idea is not to do all the things to close the loop. The idea is just to capture the open loops, just to get them somewhere so that you're no longer thinking about it. And he, he suggests a someday maybe file. So if you want to do something interesting, do this. When, when somebody gets a great idea or some, they want to introduce something new and just have them flip around their, their 411 and write it on the back and let that be a someday maybe file that we'll review monthly and say, hey, look, is there anything on this list that makes sense for us to start working into our business plan for the end of the year? Mm-hmm. And that way, we're, we're not just saying no, no, and just jettisoning potentially great ideas. And we're also not saying yes and replacing what are our known priorities. We're, we're putting it in a place that in the future, you know, once a, once a month or so, we can look at the list and say, anything there good? Anything there that we ought to be thinking? Is there anything on this list that provides a solution for something we're not currently providing a solution for? Yeah, which um, I, if you guys want to see an example of what this looks like, uh, I've got a training video on the 411 that I've got up on our website. If you go to the one thing.com with the number one slash 411 training, so the number one and 411 are all numbers, the one thing.com slash 411 training, you'll see very specifically how the front of my 411 reflects my priorities the true priorities. And if you flip it over, the back is that someday maybe for the 20% big rocks that don't earn the right to be on the front of the 411 yet, as well as my 80% to-do list. Abe, assuming the person who's listening to this, they do that. Moving forward, is that enough? It is not enough. However, you know, write, write, write this down, Jeff. I'm going to give you something to write down. Awareness alone will do 50% of the heavy lifting. Awareness alone will do 50% of the heavy lifting. So it, it's not enough. However, it is a critical first step to, you know, to getting a company consistently delivering on the desired outcomes. Now we know how to create a game plan for our organization. When we come back, we're going to discuss how you can start moving the ball down the field and achieve extraordinary results. So to recap for you who's listening, the first mistake that I'm hearing Abe share is not lining up your dominoes. And that's not that you once sat down and did a business plan. It's that you actually have models and systems that ensure that you always have a plan, both for the business as a whole in the form of a GPS, a one-page business plan, and for yourself personally, your priorities, and for every person on your team to have a list of their priorities, meaning a 411. 
And that when things pop up, that instead of asking the question, should I say yes, no, trying to figure out the language around that, you simply whip out your 411 or you whip out the GPS and you ask, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? That way you're always knocking down the things that lead to extraordinary results over time. What's that next domino? Inevitably, there will come a moment in any professional endeavor where the people that started it are either no longer sufficient to take care of the growth that's happening, or they do not possess the expertise required to advance the business. Which means that we're going to need to look at proper leverage. And you and I talk all the time about how to succeed through others. In our, in our world, that's, you know, that's how we've learned this, success through others. So it, it comes down to you know, getting great people into the organization that are working from a really clear plan and that actually, that actually have a real shot at, at winning and exceeding you know, even their own expectations. I think one of the interesting things that you've shared with me in the past is that the the skills that you embody that allowed you to earn the right to bring leverage into your organization, meaning that you were the doer, you were the builder, you went and you got it done yourself. Those skills do not necessarily transfer to the skills required to succeed through others. Talk about that. Well, that's brilliant what you said, and I would love to take credit. And um, that is written. That was written in in a book that started you and I on our journey, right? That was written by the co-author of, or the you know the author of the the one thing with you guys, Gary Keller. He wrote the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. He wrote about that. We we typically will come into either a position or we will start a, a business because we know how to do something or we have something that we can provide. And that typically is is um, coupled with a lot of passion, with a lot of adrenaline, with a lot of excitement. Long we will we will do whatever it takes. We'll stay up late. We'll we'll do whatever it takes. However, there comes a moment where we are no longer sufficient alone, and and now we're now it's time to bring in people and add people. And what Gary says is that our skill at doing the thing doesn't translate to leading people, and we are dumb again. What does it mean to be dumb again? Think of it like this. If I'm raising my hand and saying, I, I, you know, I'm looking for real talented people that are going to come in and help us meet our goals and do our thing, then there is a skill. And if it's a skill, that means it, it can be studied and practiced and acquired. Leadership is a skill. In fact, I think of it as a tacit skill. Have you ever heard of that, a tacit skill? I have not. Okay, so a tacit skill is something you can only learn by experiencing it. I learned this from a friend of mine named Matt Townsend, who I think maybe has been on your show. Yes, and if for those of you, if you're interested in checking it out, it was called Where There's Smoke, There's Fire, Transforming Relationships by Solving the Real Problem. That was episode 119 that came out on January 19th of 2018. A tacit skill is something that you can only acquire by feeling it. So a great example of a tacit skill is riding a bicycle. So you can watch all the YouTube videos you want. You can read books. People can explain. Like if you feel like you're going to go left, lean right. Feel like you're going right, lean left. 
But Jeff, at some point, inevitably, you have to get on the bicycle. And until you feel what balance is, you will not be able to ride a bike. Fair? Yes. Well, just because I... I can speak really well in front of a crowd or just because I have a really compelling vision or a really compelling reason does not mean that I am a great leader of people. It just means that I'm really good at making noise that people seem to stick around for. (laughs) So, and, and by the way, I'm, I I feel like, I feel like this is all autobiographical for me. Like I can, I can look at the season in my life and I'm probably still there to tell you the truth. Ever learning, right? There were many times where my leadership style, just making bigger arm movements. It's similar. I coach my daughter's U7 girls soccer team. And believe you me, my greatest strategy is the big arm movements and loud, loud words for those guys. In a business, that no, that loses its effect, which means that at some point, your inspirational speeches no longer are keeping us going. We need to actually know what to do. And we need a way to know when we're winning. Give us a, an example of what this looks like for someone before they've actually acquired the skill of hiring the right talent. Well, this is, this is an easy one. I have a favorite quote by um, a guy named Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. And he says, that which is most personal is most universal. And I promise when we go through this piece, there will, be, there will be people listening to this that are going to feel like, oh my gosh, he is only talking about me. Because that which is most personal is most universal. And very universally, the, the, some of the mistakes that I see that people make as they are on their way to developing the skill of hiring talent and leading talent... One that's really common is we have a tendency to fall in love with our candidates. So what we have a tendency to do, we go into the interview, and then we start to see the potential of relief in the candidates that we're talking to. And if we're not careful, and if you're like me, you will start to assign to to your candidates a proven track record as if it is a proven record of success. I want the listener, I want you to I want you to put yourself think back to a time when you were interviewing someone. You were interviewing them because you were hitting up against a ceiling of achievement somewhere in your business. There was pain associated. You needed that person. And in front of you sits a candidate who something about them you really liked and is it true? that in your mind, you started imagining what they could possibly provide to your world. And you fell in love with it. And was it their potential that you fell in love with? Or was there actually a track record that you interrogated and validated to ensure that they would be the right fit? And we often... We see, we see the development curve for these people. So we, a lot of times the people we're working with don't understand this. We, we help shortcut it for them. But when people start to learn this, there's something beautiful that happens because number one, your talent wants to know that they were selected. More than just getting the job, real talented people want to know that they were selected from other talented people. 
the way that you bring someone into the organization is really, really important. <laughs> it's very important. And they will have a greater sense of ownership if they, if they have gone through a process with you that will allow you to say, Jeff, before we talk about what it would take for us to actually start working together, in, there's something else for us to talk about. In saying yes to you, I will be saying no to some very qualified people. Is there anything we need to talk about before we, we talk more seriously about you coming and joining our team? Hmm. This is this is really important. This is really important. People want to be selected. They want to be selected. That'll that'll pay you off. Now, I said they want to be selected because they went through a process, right? Mm-hmm. That process, that a good hiring process. Hiring's not a gut. It's not a gut thing. It's not a hunch. It's not a. It's not an innate born gift. Oh, get that away. Relieve yourself of the pressure of thinking that you're really great at hiring. Use a process. And that and any good process will have a checklist of steps that you that you check. Ref, a certain way that you do reference checks. A certain way that you understand someone's natural behavioral rhythms, especially under pressure. You want to know their natural behavior under pressure. And so if you're using a system and a process and you have a map for their first 100 to 180 days, it's, it's far less likely that, that you're going to treat their potential like a proven track record. Mm-hmm. You know what the next step is, by the way, for those that do commit that critical error that I've committed many times in my life? Not following a process? Um, yeah, not following a process and, and, and treating someone's potential like it's a proven track record. And, and by the way, the steps I'm describing are the steps that you're taking in the very beginning of this relationship to destroy their future in your company. You just don't realize that. You're handicapping them. And, and so the next step that people take from this is they're so excited about this person and they feel relief. Before there's any real reason, before there's a result, they feel relief with this thing that has been a plague to them or this pain point in the company. And once they feel relief, they immediately start to underlead that new talent. What does that look like? Again, it, it kind of comes back to point number one, right? They don't have a written plan for the first for their first 180 days. Now that same mentor that you and I have talked about Gary Keller, I heard him once say in a room of 18,000 business owners, he said that adults learn by seeing it done 7 times. So if I don't have a plan for you, I just think you're so unbelievably talented that you're you're the you're the one. You're a rock star. You're going to you're going to solve this and I just throw something at you that typically is a mess. And then I step back and I let you do it. There's a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, you are in no time going to move out of the euphoria, that kind of the honeymoon period of having been selected into the stressful period of, I now need to prove something. I need to produce something. I need to achieve something. I need to show that my learning curve is trending in the right direction. And I have no structure to do that. Mm-hmm. And typically, this means people get creative. And when they get creative, they don't meet expectations. And by the way, those expectations, <laughs> this is the mess it is. Those expectations are often undefined. So you've got a leader that had an expectation 
that wasn't defined for someone, and now they're not meeting that expectation. And whose fault is that, by the way? The leaders. In our family, we call it creative listening. If you really cared, you'd know what I was thinking. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I want to so, illustrate what this really looks like because I... I learned this the hard way with my first hire where I thought I was clear about the expectations and realized I never actually shared them. Um, And I was in a situation where there was so much pain. I needed leverage so bad that when a person showed up and finally demonstrated any sort of competency and able to do the job, I just went, oh, they've got it. And I stopped training. I stopped leading. I stopped having accountability conversations to push them to the next level because I just assumed that they had it. And then of course, because I didn't train them seven times so that they had the repetition in it to really ensure that they had it, when things aren't there, then you start to play the mental games. And and those mental games are they are they will they will take a deeper toll on an organization, and, and more specifically on the individuals in your organization, they will take a much deeper toll than you'll be able to see. Because the moment a person starts into that horrible hurricane of, oh, do they, are they happy with me? Do they still think I was a good choice? Am I doing good? Does someone feel like I'm, I'm not performing? Am I, when, when someone goes there, I mean, it can affect their health. It can affect the health of the organization. And it's the birthplace of all kinds of other poor habits that we would never want to introduce into our company. People get defensive. People get defensive on emotional stances because we haven't given them any other thing to defend. They don't have a clear plan. They're not clear on their job because we underlet them. What if we told you that 52% of employees said that ineffective communication is one thing contributing to workplace failure? Would you believe it? As we've grown our corporate training business, we've seen this firsthand, which is why we know that oftentimes your environment doesn't support your goals and projects drag on longer than they should. If this sounds like you, then check out Glip, which is a sponsor of the One Thing Podcast. Glip is a powerful platform that unlocks your team's potential. It does this by giving your team one unified online workspace to chat, track tasks, manage a team calendar, share and make notes on files, host video meetings, and screen share, all inside one integrated platform. Since we're in the business of saving you time, we loved that 64% of Glip users reported delivering projects faster than before, and 88% of Glip users say they're more informed about their organization's projects which is a big deal considering ineffective communication is one thing undermining their success. To start investing your time better today, sign up for a free Glip account to get unlimited access to team messaging, task management, file sharing, and more. Go to glip.com slash productive. That's G-L-I-P dot com slash productive. Glip.com slash productive. We've talked about two of three big mistakes that people make. First is not lining the dominoes up, not actually having a plan for your business, your division, your team. 
And then having every single person that's a part of that plan having a clear 411 showing, declaring these are my priorities so that when anything pops up, you ensure that you are knocking the correct lead domino down. Then there comes the time where you must learn to succeed through others, which the challenge is the thing that allowed you to earn the right to bring on leverage. It's a different skill set. So having a process to follow so that you are actually hiring people, the right people, and getting them on the right seat on the bus, ensuring that you are onboarding them correctly, not just saying they've got it and then underleading them. Let's assume, Abe, we've got all those things. The dominoes, they're lined up beautifully. We're succeeding through others like it's our job. <laughs> What's that third mistake? The third one is we do not. We do not have a culture of where accountability is the lifeblood of how we work and interact with each other. What do you mean by that? I, get, I want to give you an example. <laughs> Let me give you a little analogy if I could. Are sure. you a runner? Do you uh, run? I used to. Okay. So I, I like to run. I've, I've run many, many half marathons. I like that one because it doesn't require much. I did run one full marathon and at the finish line said to my sweet wife, if you love me, you'll never let me do this again. And she is (laughs) holding me to it. She's holding me to that. Now I have to be really careful. You know, however I come across whatever finish line I have, I tell her, you can't hold me to any commitments I make for 48 hours. I need to forget that it's the worst pain I've ever had and start to just remember the good. So think of Think of running a marathon. I want you to think about that. Just imagine that I'm a runner. You see me. I'm excited about what I'm doing. I've got my running shoes on. I'm running and, and, and it's exciting to me. And you come up next to me and you're like, hey, you're running. Can I run with you? And my response is, oh my gosh, somebody wants to run with me. Yeah, yeah, you can run with me. Here, stand here. And pretty soon there's somebody else that comes up and they're like, hey, can I run with you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Where are we going? Where are we running? We're just running, man. We're just running. Well, okay. Do we? So we just keep running. Run faster. Run further. Awesome. I. This is exciting. I. I want to run further. Where? What's further? You'll know further when you've run it. And then suddenly somebody shows up one day and they don't have on the right shoes. And we're like, what? What? Why are you wearing? You're wearing your church shoes. We're running. All right. It's okay. It's like we're family. All right. Stand up and we'll and come on. And then the whole organization slows down because this one person doesn't have the right equipment to do what we're doing. And then one day somebody shows up late. So you got all these people that want to do something. They're standing there. They're ready to start running. And you're going to either stifle the the forward progress of all of these committed people while we wait for the one, or you're going to leave the one, sacrifice them, if you will, and by the way, need I remind you, nobody even knows where we're running. What we've talked about today, Jeff, is we have said, this is the course. We're going to run from this point to this point. And there's, there's a lot of other things that we could talk about with this, a big why. However, for, to, to stay consistent with these critical points, we've defined the running course. We've defined how long we believe it will take our group to do each mile, which means we have markers posted at every mile. We know what mile we're going to take a drink. 
And we know at what mile we're going to eat some food. We know where the sacred porta potties are. (laughs) (laughs) And when somebody comes to run with us, before they can join our team, we will ensure that they're prepared to come in with the right equipment and to be there at the right time with people that will help them get up to speed with us. So that if we believe they're talented enough to come and help us progress, we are, we are putting them in a position that they can really win. That's what all of this is. And there are so many people out there that are like, run faster, run more. Where are we running? It doesn't matter. And for those organizations and for those people whose whole strategy is run faster and further, and you'll know what it looks like when you've done it, those are the companies where we learn the vital lesson that everybody stops. You either choose where you're going to stop or your people simply can't go further and they're done. They're done forever. And you'll hear in companies like this, you'll hear people say things like, and I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to step on some toes. And so, you know, for those that want to um, send the serial killer my way, I live, Jeff, what's your address? (laughs) Just leave it. it. I'm going to step on some toes right now. What happens is we start to say things like, we're family. We're family. Our culture is like a family. And here we support each other. And, and these things that in the beginning are the stars that we use to guide us later become the clubs that we use to beat ourselves with. And, and this is how it happens. Inevitably, the company starts to grow and people, you'll have some in the organization that will excel in their role. You're, you're now learning how to lead people. You've got, you've got weekly meetings. You've got a common language that, that's happening. And so um, having a having a culture of accountability. Another way to say it, and it's another book, and I don't, I don't know if you've had this gentleman on, but Extreme Ownership. Have you, have you read that book, Extreme Ownership? Yeah, we had Jocko on the podcast back in episode 95 that came out on November 30th of 2017 entitled Why Extreme Ownership and Discipline Creates Extraordinary Leadership and Results. That's it. Well, in a, in a nutshell, Jeff, what is extreme ownership? If you're the leader, it's your fault. In every single situation when something goes wrong, to look in the mirror and ask, where's my DNA in this? Now, the, the coach in me, my, my coaching nerve just started to tingle. And I would, I would adjust it slightly for you know, our purposes and say, I, I'm going to borrow from Ritz. I think this is Ritz Carlton, who gets the problem, owns the problem. Mm. You know, you can you can find so many different examples of this, and in, in in you know with with our partner, and in in the com- in our in our partnership, you are not only it's not only okay if you make a mistake, it's encouraged as long as you're not pointing at others, shifting blame, and and as long as you are looking for you're looking to catalog the learning, and understand how we'll do it different now. If, if our people are the most important part of our business, then we must have a culture that demands the best of them and rewards those that, that fail productively forward because they own, they own the pieces that don't work out. They don't shift blame. They don't point to others. All right. So let's, let's illustrate this. I want to do it. Will you do an exercise with me? I will. Okay. So for those that are listening, can you know do just follow along with us and by the way this is a great thing to do with an organization in fact this was created 
we created a course and traveled around the country. And we did this, we do this deep dive with companies. We called it immersion. And it was this kind of this comprehensive deep dive into all the areas of, of a business plan and success. And we brought operations and sales, everyone together. I want you to imagine you and I are standing at the whiteboard and you have a dry erase marker. Okay. Got it. Yep. Now for those listening, I would do this with your whole organization. I bring everybody up, and that means everybody has to have a place that they can write and a what you know a marker. So here's here's the exercise using single words, single words, Jeff. I want you to dis- to use words that you believe describe a healthy company culture. Now, look, I got I got to clarify something. If you're with a group doing this, um, that doesn't mean single words in a row that form a sentence. I'm serious. I just want you to to describe a healthy culture by using single word identifiers. That's it. So Jeff, I'm going to do this with you. What what are words that come to mind that you think are critical in a healthy company culture? Clarity, priority, understanding, respect, vision, talent, ownership, accountability, profit. No. No. Did you say no? Yes. No one's ever said that. Uh, so meaning, I, I meaning, have to, meaning, I have meaning. to take a second and ask you. Yeah. What is yeah. no? No, I'm not going to open my email or check my email before I've checked my 411. No, I'm not just going to say yes to attending a meeting without first looking at my 411 and seeing have I earned the right to attend the meeting, that when someone asks if I've got them and I say, you know what? I'm in the middle of doing my one thing right now. Can you circle back later? You know what I, I, you know what I love about that, Jeff? And by the way, I can hear in your answers, I can hear the 400 plus business innovators you've talked to over the last few years. It's a great list. And what I love about the no is, and, and I want to I state this back to you, and don't let me put words in your mouth. Tell me if this is what you're saying. At our company, at our company, our culture is, it, it is perfectly acceptable in our, cult, our culture to, in order to stay focused on your stated priorities, to say no to things that are not in alignment with your stated priorities. Yes. And we... Let me just give you one little one little consideration. There are some that just heard that. And by the way, I think that is critical. I love it. I'm stealing it. I'll, I'll quote you down the road. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. However, there are some that just heard that. And in their mind, they were thinking, but there's a lot of things that come that we just can't, they have to be done. We just can't say no. I would ask the question, is it that you can't say no or that you lack the fundamental language? with which to seek clarity and priority. That's it. You know, it'd be awesome for any company. It would be to have a list of questions that you will use to gauge the priority level and implementation timing of all those things. Let me give you a few questions and then we're going to come back to our exercise. Yeah. Is this no forever? Or is this no till till next week? Mm Mm-hmm. Does this belong on my 411? And if the answer is yes, then have I accounted for it on the GPS? 
if if I'm going to give critical focus in a in my written weekly, monthly, annual plan to this item, is it appropriately built out in the business plan? Right? If this does not belong in my 411, for the people that are like, oh, someone's got to do it, here's the next question. Whose 411 should it be on? These kind of questions, I mean, a company could very easily have a list of questions that their their team members, their their um, critical players could ask to evaluate the you know the evaluate the no. Mm-hmm. And this is where when we go into corporations to do training, whether it be workshops or keynotes, it it ultimately has come down to that lack of a common language with which Kaylin, who you've gotten to meet our community manager said the, the one thing's the ultimate language of respect. Because when you are able to say to your boss, I'm doing my one thing right now. And for them to understand that that means buzz off for you oh, to be able yeah. to say, I'm bunkering down, meaning don't violate my time block. Ooh, I want to give you a spin on this. If I could, please. Um, I say it again. Say it the way Kaylin said it, because my spidey sense went nuts when you said that. I loved it. It's the ultimate language of respect. Okay, I love that, and I'll tell you why. Leaders and organizations tend to have an, a natural allergic reaction when somebody says no, or what does something that they perceive is saying no. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is this is how you'll know that you are really you're creating a, a, an organization where there is. A, a real culture of accountability. This is this is how you'll know. And then we're going to come back to our exercise. Okay, we, we haven't lost that. But this is how you'll know. When a leader comes to one of their team members with something and the team member says, I'm sorry, I'm focused on my 411. And the leader says, I couldn't be, I couldn't be more grateful. That is exactly how I asked you to work. The, the statement isn't, I can't do that. Because I'm focused on my one thing. The statement is, I'm going to be true to the way you've taught me to be productive here and remain focused on our stated one thing for me. Do you see the difference? Oh, yeah. It's a subtle difference. However, it's an important difference. Oh, yeah. It, for, for people, the, just a, a few episodes before this, if you guys go back to the episode that was released on September 10th with Brindley Tucker about hiring top talent... If you fast forward to the end, I want to say it was around 50 or 55 minutes in, I did an interview with Kaylin about what her first four or five months have been like. And just, she's read the book and yet there were doubts about, can you really live this in an organization and what she has really discovered going through it? We're, we're standing at the board and we're coming up with these words. And you were saying things like trust, respect, uh, clarity, plan. You know, these are accountability. These are the things that we're saying, correct? Yes. And and by the way, I don't I don't believe you can have a healthy company culture in the absence of these things. And and if you're if you're on the fence with that idea, just consider this: the things that matter the very most to you in your most intimate relationships are these intangible traits. I don't believe you can you can fully experience love in the absence of trust. I don't believe you can fully experience trust in the absence of communication or encouragement 
or dedication. You know, these, these kind of things that we have a tendency to name for our company are also often the things that are just more the most important to us in relationships, correct? Yes. Okay, so now let me paint the picture. You're standing there, you got the whole group, they've taken a moment, they've written these single words, and you're just going to go through them with them. You're going to be like, oh, cool, you know, happy, fun, love, challenge. You're going to circle them. And, and what I'll often tell them is, look, if somebody's written the word that you were going to write, just put a check by it. And so you'll have some words that were common that you see checked more than others. Now what I say to them is I say, these are great. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a statement right in the middle. I'm going to write a statement right here. And I want you to gauge your first reaction. Don't say anything. I want you to take your internal temperature once you see what I've written. Ready? So they're kind of on point, right? They're ready. And I simply write, culture is production. And then I turn around and look. Now, Jeff, if I ask you, if I say that to you, if I say, hey, do you have a hard time with the statement culture is production? What's your answer? Negative. It's not. But you and I were raised by unbelievable leaders that inserted into our development this, this idea about culture is production, correct? Yes. So without fail, in, in all the times that we taught this, when I would turn around and look, inevitably somebody would have like a visceral little, because we just talked about all these beautiful, warm, descriptive things that we all want. And now this guy, like a cold-hearted idiot, is saying that production, where did the fuzzies go? Right? There's this little internal dialogue. And, and when I see someone, when I see, I'll often say to them, okay, you right there, what's behind that look? And they'll say basically what I just said. They'll say, oh, it just feels so cold. Feels like it does. That doesn't, feels like the bottom line matters more than the people. Now, th- there's a reason that we're, we're talking about this, Jeff. We were talking about how to, how to ensure that you have a culture of accountability in your organization. So con- consider this for a moment. When you start a business, what you're doing in essence, if, there, if people are going to be a part of it, what you're doing in essence is you're raising your hand. And you're saying to talented people, I will be the place that you can come and create a future and provide for your family. Here in this company, you can save for retirement, send your kids to college. This is the place. And what I want organizations to understand is that by the time a dollar amount, whether it's whether we're looking at monthly or quarterly or yearly, by the time we can look at a dollar amount, point at it and say, that's profit. By the time we can say that, that revenue has passed through all of the tunnels and the tributaries and the trails that take care of that commitment that we're going we're gonna to raise our hand and this is where you can earn your living. It has paid for the salaries. It has paid for the benefits. It has paid for materials. It has paid for the place that we work. And by the time it comes out the other end, the moment that it qualifies for us to say it's profit, we should all care that that number comes out the same as what we said it would come out when we started this. Because what we're really saying when the company hits its profit number is, we fulfilled our commitment to the people here. That's important. So a culture of productivity is more than just 
Everyone's got to do their job and we got to deliver our product. A culture of productivity states that I, I, have a res- I have a sacred responsibility, if you want to look at it that way, to perform my role to the best of my ability because we are interdependent. And that woman is a single mom with a child in college. And that guy is saving for retirement. And this is more important to him than anything else because his father passed away from cancer. His brother has the same cancer. His uncle just died of the same cancer. By the way, these are all very true examples that we that we discovered in these courses. I've got to do my part because that young couple just wants to buy a new home. I got to do my part because I told my children that I was going to that I set a goal to achieve this certain position. And at that position, I could affect more lives for good and, and improve our quality of life. We should look at profit as a sacred number. We can't do that if people don't understand that we must be accountable. We must have a process where weekly we have the conversation. Did I do what I said I would do? And if I didn't, what will I do to get back in alignment? This is where, Abe, I feel like the word accountability. Some people, they hear accountability and it's a very positive connotation. And for some people, the idea of holding someone accountable or being held accountable feels punitive. Talk about why that's not the case. So I think, that, I think there's, a couple, there's a couple reasons why people struggle with accountability. Um, accountability. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the kind of accountability we want. So the, the kind of productive accountability that pushes an organization forward and creates additional opportunity for all involved. That's the kind of accountability I'm talking about. That kind of accountability absolutely requires some key ingredients. And in the absence of those key ingredients, accountability will turn into a punitive exercise on a schedule. Let me, let me say that again. In the absence of these key ingredients, accountability can turn into a punitive exercise that's weekly scheduled. So let, let me tell you what I think the ingredients are. I can't hold you accountable to a plan that you're not clear on. <laughs> you must have a clear plan. I can't hold you accountable to a position that doesn't own a job description. Because if we don't, if we haven't taken the time to actually map out what are the critical things you must achieve, what are the things you're responsible for, if you don't have clarity on that and you don't have the tools to do your job, then really what we've done is we have positioned you to not succeed. What's the one thing someone can do such that by doing it would make establishing a culture of accountability and productivity easier or unnecessary? Well, so I have a bias. I'm going to come from my bias. I'm going to come from my bias. I have a bias for coaching. And I believe, Jeff, if you are doing this alone, you're not doing it right. And so you, you hear it said in many different ways. Have a board of directors. Have a mentor. Success leaves clues. Failure leaves clues. You hear it said so many ways. And, and what I would say, and, and if I don't say this, you should have nothing to do with our coaching company. What I would say is, don't do this alone. 
Hire the person that's going to stand on the front line of your objectives with you every week to help you get focused, to help you get clarity. And and the all the tools that we've talked about, let's, you know, the 411 in particular, these things not only provide us operational clarity, they also, and this is really a critical point, Jeff, they also serve as the reset point. They're a beautiful reset. Life is going to happen. So we will, we will always be behind in one critical metric or another. And if we're not, then our goals are not sufficiently big enough to create the change we want to create. So everyone's going to get off track. Everyone. And the 411 is that beautiful sign that says, Where, what was I going to do? And allows us just to get back to what the priorities were. You know, and so I, I would say, if you want to wrap it all together, you know, look at these things, use tools. And if you're doing this alone, you're making it harder than it needs to be. Hire a coach that can help help you with your plan, with your weekly accountability, and can fly you up 10,000 feet every now and then to see what's coming so we can get prepared for that too. Well, there you have it, our conversation with Abe Shreve, the man who's building the coaching company based on the principles of the one thing. We want to recap the three mistakes. First is not lining your dominoes up by having the right models and systems in place to ensure that you as a leader are clear on where you are marching the company and that every single person in your world has absolute clarity on what their priorities are to contribute to your business plan. Second, is learning to succeed through others. Being able to develop the skills so that it's not about you being an independent contributor, it's about you coaching others to achieve extraordinary results. That means having the right process to hire them, the right process to onboard them, the right process to ensure that they're on the right seat on the bus, and for you as a leader to ensure that you are training them correctly so that you're not just assuming that, quote, they've got it, and then you underlead them. And finally, it's about establishing a culture of accountability and productivity. Because the truth is, if everyone feels an obligation for producing in their role and doing what's required to contribute to building a sustainably profitable company, what you're doing is you are honoring the commitment that you made to every single person in terms of providing for their family, and creating the abundance in their life that they are looking for. If you find yourself saying, wow, that seems like a lot, the path to getting everything you want starts by getting just one thing at a time. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? Maybe you need to complete your GPS for the upcoming year. Maybe you need to go through and do a 411 with your team. Maybe you need to sit down with your team in front of a whiteboard and really ask, what is our culture in one single descriptive word? What does it come down to? Wherever you choose, we hope that you are the type of person who actually takes the action. And if you believe what Abe says, that a great place to start would be to get a coach, 
please go to the onething.com slash training. You will see an option there for One Thing Coaching. These coaches are certified in all the models and systems that we have to line the dominoes up. They're certified in our hiring processes, which we have completely nailed down in all the processes so that you can establish that culture of accountability and productivity. It's already laid out and you will have that coach with you on the front lines of your business to help you every step of the way. Go to theonething.com slash training for more information about that. And go to theonething.com and click on free stuff if you would like to get a copy of the GPS and the 411. We hope that as you went through this episode, you were able to identify those people that you know need to hear this. The question is, how will you share it? Maybe it's a text message. Maybe you go up to them and grab their phone and, and help them find and subscribe to the podcast. Whatever it is, understand that this is not just about your development and your road to mastery, which we love that you're on. It's about empowering them to go on theirs. And that's when you begin to find more fulfillment in what you're doing. If this episode has brought value to you, we would really appreciate if you would leave us a rating and review on your podcast, Player of Choice. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.